Hey guys, it's Jamie Scrimger here, second wife, stepmom of three, and mom of one. And you're listening to my podcast, where we talk about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. If you're ready for raw and real conversations and are striving to live your very best life, then you are in the right place. Every week, I'll provide you with tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Hey guys, so this week on the podcast, my good friend Alana McGinn is on the show. Alana is the founder and certified sleep expert of Good Night Sleep Site and the host of the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast. So Alana has established the worldwide brand of Good Night Sleep Site as being the number one sleep resource for families. She and her team of sleep consultants strive to help families, babies all the way up to adults, and corporations overcome their sleep challenges and have well-rested smiles in the morning. Alana has been published in McLean's, Prevention Magazine, Today's Parent, and Huffington Post, and she also has appeared as the leading sleep expert on The Marilyn Dennis Show, Your Morning City Line, and Breakfast Television. Like, Alana is everywhere. In this episode, we dive into my own personal sleep challenges, the link between sleep and anxiety, sleep and mental health, teenagers and sleep, sleep and productivity, screen time and sleep, and basically what families can and should do to make sleep a priority in their home. Alana talks about how sleep, along with nutrition and exercise, are the three pillars to health and how society needs to start making sleep just as much of a priority as the other two. This episode definitely changed the way that I look at sleep for me and my crew, and I'm confident that it's going to have the same effect on you. So let's dive in. Alana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You know what? I'm so excited to chat with you today because I feel like there are so many questions in so many different areas that I need to chat with you about. And I feel like whenever we see each other in real life, I just want to like hammer them at you, but I don't want (laughs) to, you know, come on too strong. So here we are. Everyone can benefit from all of your sleep knowledge today. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So are you wondering if Reese is still in our bed? Well, I think I already know the answer, but yeah, we're going to talk about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what guys? So what's really funny. So I have been talking to Alana actually for maybe three years about, (laughs) I wanted to say a while, but I wanted to see how you were going to say it. (laughs) Yeah. About three years for about how to get Reese out of our bed because Reese is always just, well, after a year, I think she was about a year or a year and a half. Then she just all of a sudden would always want to sleep with us. And I never really said no. And I thought it would end and then it didn't end. And then I tried to get her to sleep in her own room and it was almost like, honestly, it just looked like a scene from The Exorcist. Like she went Mm -hmm. nuts and we've just never really been able to make it happen. But we are close, I think, Alana. Awesome. How old old is she now? She's five. She should be in her bed. (laughs) No, no. I'm just asking because I just couldn't remember how old she was now. Yeah, she's five. Yeah, she's five. Yeah. She still wakes up in the middle of the night and she'll come to my room. Um, and want me to go back uh, and lay with her. And she just kind of needs to get settled again. So that's my next tough love piece. So actually, you know what? Why don't you tell everyone what you told me when we saw each other last? So this is six months ago. Reese is still in our bed. And I'm saying we're struggling. What did you say? Well, I said, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I think I probably would have said 
you know, at this point it's you, not her, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what I said, right? Oh, Uh, totally. Listen, you know, at the end of the day, once we get, once the years have passed and it's still happening and, you know, we know Reese, we know that she can do it on her own 100% because uh, she has and she she can. Um, at some point, you have to pull the plug. And listen, it's hard. Like, I get it. I have three kids. I always say, listen, my kids didn't come out of me great sleepers. I had to work at it too. But at some point, you have to put those those rules and those boundaries. And they don't have to be harsh by any means. But you have to put those in place um, so they understand the expectations. expectations. And Reese is definitely at an age where she can – understand it all and grasp it all, um, just in having that conversation and that communication with her. Um, but you have taken great steps. I mean, now the fact that she can now fall asleep in her bed and yeah, she still needs you to, to comfort her if she does wake up, but that's just a next, another layer to add on, you know, and, and, and now it's, it's important to teach her that, you know, if she does wake up on her own, she can learn to comfort herself self-regulate herself, comfort herself, fall asleep herself, because that in itself is the skill. And when she has that skill in place, we want her to have this skill for a lifetime. Not to Mm -hmm. say if you don't teach it to her tomorrow, she's going to need you when she's 20 to help her fall asleep. But, you know, we want to start encouraging these skills and, and promoting these skills at some point. And I think you're just at that point where we can start doing that. Yeah. And so when you say so, like teach her how to self-regulate and self-soothe and comfort herself, how, how do you do that? Well, it depends on the age. So when we're talking about Reese's age, you know, there's little things like we'll get parents to, first of all, always start with conversation and communication. I mean, she's definitely old enough to grasp it. So this is where, you know, uh, having that family sleep meeting where you're sitting down and saying, okay, this is, um, instead of, you know, especially when it's such a long duration, like for, five years, you know, Reese has been used to sleeping in your bed. So, you know, it's not suggested where the first night you're like, okay, boom, you're in your own bed. We're done. This is it. This is how it's going to be. That could be a lot for a kid. Right. So, you know, working up to it, starting those conversations and those communications and just telling her, you know, you can do this on your own. Like mommy is just in her room. You're in your room. You are safe. You can stay in your bed and you can fall asleep on your own. And I know that you can do it. And again, like just letting her a know that you know that she's capable of doing it because we know that they're capable of doing it. They might know that they're capable of doing it, but we never want them to think that you don't think she's capable of doing it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the time that's actually what's happening is the child thinks, well, mom and dad think I don't do it. Therefore, I can't do it. Therefore, I'm not going to, right? So talking to her about it, that you know she can do it and and not convincing her because she probably does know that she can do it, but just, she needs to hear that from you. So opening up that communication is definitely super important. And then things like, you know, we've had parents go out and buy like little stuffed animals. And, you know, you could say, you know, instead of waking up and needing mommy for a cuddle, no, you wake up and this is what you can use for a cuddle. And then mommy will come and get you in the morning. So again, again, always coming back to that communication, talking about that and, you know, replacing yourself with another object, whatever, another comforting object, whatever that object may be. Um, you know, some kids need something as simple as a clock, a toddler clock, a visual clock, if they can't tell the time yet, or a digital clock for the older kids, cause they just need to understand the time. Sometimes they might not know, is it time to get up? Can I go get my mom or my dad? You know, what time is it? So just having that visual cue that, Hey, it's not time to get up yet. We need to stay in our bed. 
sometimes it does come down to behavior, you know? So if they're continuously, everything's fine, the child's fine and thriving and, you know, we're not concerned that maybe something else is going on, like a legitimate fear or anxiety or worry, um, you know, that's where, and the child is kind of getting under bed because they know they're going to get that reaction from you. It's time to kind of take that reaction away. So it could be something like a silent return to the room, but not lying in the bed, just bringing them back to her room and then leaving the room. And if she, you might have to do that 50 times throughout the night, but at some point she's going to get the message, you know, kind of just removing that, um, that audience if she's giving you that performance type thing. Yeah. And you know what? I, you were so right when you said it is about you because, you know, there's the element that I don't want her to be upset, but there's also the element that, oh man, I'm just tired. And sometimes Survival. it's just easier to go there and lay with her so that she's not upset and that we can all just go to sleep, but it's, it's not doing anyone any good. It's not helping us in the long run. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, and I've, we've, we've, my team and I have said this to many clients. It's, you know, in order to make change, we have to make changes in order to have change. We have to make changes. So it's not easy. We might not want to do it. Um, like you said, sometimes it's just easier to lie in the bed or sometimes it's easier just to scoop them up and bring them into your bed just to get that extra couple hours. But you know, that little bit of hard work for those couple of nights means long-term gain for sure. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to put this podcast on my phone and listen to it every night before bed to give me a little pep talk. Cause yeah, we are, we've come a long way, but we are definitely ready just to, to wrap her up and have her sleep in her own room. I think Darren would like to hang out with his wife at night. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. So like I said, there's just so many questions that I have for you because, you know, we have kids right now. Reese is five and my oldest stepdaughter is going to be 17. So we have so many different ages that we're parenting right now. And I feel like sleep is a conversation that we're having about all of the kids, including Darren and I. Mm -hmm. um, I have been talking on my platform a little bit lately about how I've been experiencing anxiety. Like I have, I think I've always had been pretty anxious person. I've always had anxiety, but I think in the last six months to a year, it has been, it's been pretty debilitating to be quite honest. And this summer I was doing some work on it and, you know, giving myself permission to say no to some things. And it came down to I just decided I could sleep in sometimes. I put a lot mm -hmm. of pressure on myself to be a morning person. I wake up super early and kind of get all my work done so I can be present for the, the kids during the day. And I feel like having more sleep has made all the difference in the world. Like, is that in my head or is there, is there a relation between anxiety and mental health and the quality of sleep that you're getting? There absolutely is. I mean, listen, you know, sleep deprivation doesn't cause things like depression or mental illness, but it definitely can heighten the symptoms that somebody is feeling. So it's important to, to work. Unfortunately, what ends up happening though, is when an individual is going through a spiral or a bout of, you know, depression or something like that, insomnia is normally one of the first symptoms and signs, right? Is that loss of sleep? Not everyone that suffers from mental illness, um, has their sleep affected, but focusing on sleep health for sure, will help with that. And we are seeing an increase. We actually just recently launched uh, a tween and teen program um, just to bring it down to that age group for a bit, because we're seeing a huge surge in sleep loss at that age. And a big part of it is anxiety and fear. And actually I have something that I wanted to, 
I bookmarks. I knew we'd be talking about this where it said that the World Health Organization states that the average high school kid today experiences the same level of, of anxiety as the average psych- psychiatric patient of the 1950s, which wow. was crazy to me, but then not because I get it. You know, I think social media plays a big part of it. And um, the fact that not just social media, just being connected, being on all the time and not having, like you were saying, that downtime. So the fact that you gave yourself this summer that opportunity to disconnect and focus on yourself and sleep a little bit more. I mean, you see the results of that, you know, and how you're feeling. So it absolutely can play a part in whether you're feeling worse or whether you're feeling better for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because last year when my anxiety was super high, I would be waking up naturally at four, four thirty, and just feeling like I need to go. Like it's time to go get stuff done. Like just feeling like the wheels are turning already. Mm-hmm. And that's early. Like that's still nighttime. That's, yeah, you know, I, some absolutely. people say four is the morning, but I feel like five is the morning. I feel that's still very much the middle of the night. And maybe it was my anxiety that was kind of spiraling this almost a form of insomnia, right? You know, you're not, I wasn't getting six hours of sleep even. I was just waking up ready to keep going. And it was mm-hmm. just kind of this vicious vicious cycle, I guess. Well, and that's where you have to look at things like, you know, I talk a lot about obviously like sleep hygiene and, you know, where that's, you know, the practices of proper sleep health of, um, you know, going to bed at the same time and having consistent sleep patterns and a conducive sleep environment and no tech in the bedroom. And yes, absolutely. All of those things work. But then we also have to look at what's going on inside of our body, you know, whether it be uh, adrenal fatigue or um, hyperadrenals. So that's where, you know, uh, stress is affected as well, where you're, you know, you're in a very stressful part of your life um, and stress. And because of that, you're losing sleep because there's a lot of cortisol and a lot of adrenaline coursing through your body um, when you're more stressed out. So, I mean, all of that definitely plays a role. I mean, there, I think everyone, including myself, suffered, has suffered at some point in their life from what we call acute insomnia. And that's where there's a loss of sleep just due to maybe just something going on in your life. Maybe you're just in a more stressful period of your life or you have more worries and anxieties and it's, it's short term. It's not, you know, you're, we're talking a couple of nights or maybe even a couple of weeks and then it goes away. Then there's individuals obviously that are suffering from chronic insomnia. And this is where they're suffering from a sleep loss for months, for years, um, some, some people, their entire lives. So it's, it's not as black and white as, as it is with kids, with kids, with the younger kids, with babies, toddlers, preschoolers, it's pretty easy to kind of say, okay, this is what we need to change. But with adults, even with teens a little bit, there could be so many different components to why we're, why you're waking up at four o'clock in the morning and why you're having issues falling back asleep. I think we as women, and I don't want to say that men don't also suffer from insomnia and the same situations. But I think for women, you know, we're, we're reading a lot now about the emotional stress and the emotional burden that women have. And I think that, um, those constant to-do lists in our brain for sure will keep us up in the middle of the night. Uh, it happens to me as well. So it's just a, it's just a, a matter of taking stock of that and making sure that you're prioritizing sleep as much as we're prioritizing working out and eating right and and self-care and things like that. Like it, it all has to tie in together. Yeah. And so do you say you have someone who is experiencing that they're waking up and they're feeling extra stress. What would your recommendations be for them in terms of how they can revamp things around their sleep in order to try to bring that down or even mitigate it? So there's a few things. I mean, one thing is that I, I call, I call it a personal pause. 
I don't like to tell people, well, just stop worrying and stop stressing because we're human. Like that's impossible. We were going to have those stresses and those worries. What tends to happen though, is because we're so distracted throughout the day, we push it all down and push it all down and push it all down and don't even allow us to really think about it or think about it for the period that we need to think about it to let it kind of resolve in our brain. But then as soon as our head hits the pillow and those distractions are gone, that's when our brain just starts flooding. So one thing that I tell people do is allow yourself time, actually give yourself moments throughout the day, two times, three times, no more than three, like two or three times for a minute and just sit there and go through your to-do list, write it out if you have to, have your anxieties and your worries. Like it's okay to think about them, let them kind of flow in and flow out, but give yourself those moments during the day to really sit down and think about them and take stock of them so that they're not going to kind of live in your brain when you go to sleep. So that's one thing is give yourself those personal pauses throughout the day. Another thing that I really uh, like to do for myself and for clients as well is journaling. So obviously writing out, giving your brain that dump before you go to sleep. So writing out uh, your, whether it be just writing out your to-do list or thoughts or anything really that's kind of swimming around in your brain that you don't want swimming around in your brain at four o'clock in the morning. Um, do that before you go to bed. So keep that night table or that, um, journal or notepad on your night table. Also, it's important to know that you can get out of bed if you can't sleep. Cause here's the thing, we should be sleeping 85% of the time that we are in bed. And what tends to happen is we start clock watching and we start tossing and turning. And that in turn adds to that anxiety that we're fe feeling about not being able to go to sleep. And then it's that vicious cycle. And then that's keeping us up even longer. So what I, I try and tell patients is, or clients is, you know, get out of bed and do a quiet activity. Don't turn on every light. Don't check your email. Don't turn on the TV, but do a quiet activity that's not stimulating. So in dim light, read a chapter in a book, um, not in your bed somewhere else, or do a puzzle or do something, and then get back into bed and try to sleep again. And you might have to do that a few nights, but you're retraining your body to then fall asleep when you're in bed. So if you can't sleep and you're tossing and turning the best, you might not want to do it. You're going to be like, this woman is crazy. I don't want to get out of my bed right now. Um, but the best thing you can do is actually stop trying, get out of bed, 10, 15 minutes, then try again. Oh my gosh. You know what? So when I was feeling super anxious a few months ago, it was actually before I was going on a trip away. I was leaving the kids. I was leaving Darren and I could not sleep all night. And my anxiety was sky high. I felt like I could honestly throw up. Yeah. And finally I got up and I was like, you know what? Enough of this. I, Jamie enough. And I went down, it was the middle of the night. I grabbed a journal and I basically just journaled out all my worries, everything that was going on in my head. And then I went through each step or each worry and asked myself, is this rational? Like, what's the truth here? Like what's actually yeah. going on and really worked through each one of my issues. And it was crazy because a lot of them were just things that I had made up in my head, worst case scenarios in my head. They weren't anything that I actually should have anxiety about, mm -hmm. but just doing that exercise, I went, I think honestly it made my trip because I had worked through all of the things that were causing me this stress. And I could, I went upstairs, I went back to sleep and all was fine. It, it's sometimes we just have so much stuff going on in our head and it prevents us from doing things during the day and from getting sleep. Yeah. And it's, it's just a matter of like sorting it out, right? So finding the opportunity to do that. And there's something to be said about 
writing, physically writing it out, not typing it into your phone, not voice recording it anywhere, but actually pen and paper and writing it out. I don't know about you, but I know that for me sometimes that is what I need to do. Um, and I know for many people it's the same way. So, um, yeah, those are, those are a few things that you can do if you're struggling with that 3am, 4am wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah, no, for sure. Now let's pivot over to talk about the teens. How Mm -hmm. do we, how do we make them realize how important sleep is? Or is it just something that, because I don't know if you can really make a teenager realize anything. Well, here's the thing, you know, yes, it's definitely going to be easier said than done. But again, it's all about starting that, opening up that communication about sleep, right? So, um, for many of our teen families, we have a lot of teen. The reason why we actually put this tween and teen plan uh, program together is not only were we getting a lot of increase from parents, we were also getting a lot of increase from kids were contacting us saying, I want to sleep better and I don't know how to do it. Wow. And what can happen is, you know, no matter what is is the reason why they're not sleeping, that worry and that fear when it comes down to bedtime and the problems and the issues that it then causes between the child and the parent can then, again, that vicious cycle and it can cause more. So they're contacting us being like, what can we do? How can we work together to, to help our sleep? So starting with that communication, have that family sleep meeting where you're sitting down and you're talking about, okay, what is, what are the sleep goals? I know it sounds really cheesy, but it's no different than putting a family meal plan together or, you know, uh, talking about a trip that maybe you guys want to save towards together or whatever, you know, is what are our family sleep goals that we want to work together on as a family? So, you know, we even have like printable fun family contracts where you can have like different clauses where, you know, this is what I, as a, the child will do. This is what I, as the parent will do to, to hit these goals. So starting with that communication, um, with, there was a recent article in the star that was saying that, a, there was a grade 10 teacher that is going to start incorporating sleep education into her curriculum, much like they have nutrition and sex ed and, um, you know, physical activity. And I spoke about it recently on my, on my, um, Instagram stories. And what I found really interesting about the article wasn't the fact that she was doing that. Cause I personally obviously think that that's amazing. And I think that it should happen were the comments of the article and the parents that were saying like, come on, this isn't the real world. We were setting up our kids to fail. You know, we live in a sleep deprived world, basically like our kids need to just suck it up and deal with it. And I'm like, but why, like, why can't we teach them these changes now? Because I'm talking to a lot of adults who've been struggling with sleep from kids. So perhaps if they had been you know, taught this and, and working towards this as kids, they wouldn't be struggling so much with an adult. Why do we have to have our kids go into that sleep deprived world that we created, you know? So absolutely. And why do we have to have a sleep deprived world? Because I know for me, I've actually been more productive since I've been sleeping more. 100%. Yeah. So it's actually, maybe this world isn't working. Well, I mean, I think that that's, that's, I mean, it's not working for so many reasons, not Mm -hmm. just that we're sleep deprived, but I mean, yeah, you know, sometimes I'll be honest. I think it's easier to start with our kids. I mean, especially for the little ones, if our little kids aren't sleeping, as you know, we're not sleeping. Right. But even for our teens, I think sometimes as adults, it's easier for us to focus on the kids before we focus on ourselves. That being said, of course, we absolutely need to we are a chronically sleep deprived society. I mean, I have all the confidence in me saying that 100% we are. Um, but sometimes I think it's easier for parents and for individuals to work on the kids before they start working on themselves. So if we have to start there, it's a start. Let's at least start there. But 
you know, I, I, I just think we have to get out of that frame of mind as, you know, we have to, you know, toughen up our kids and, you know, I, I guess it's just putting a value on sleep and understanding that, listen, it's one of the three pillars of health. When we're looking at nutrition, exercise and sleep as the three pillars, and we can't just always focus on, even though we should nutrition and, and physical activity, we also have to focus on our sleep health for all family members. Yeah, absolutely. So when the teenagers are reaching out, what are they saying to you guys? Just we're tired, you know, and it's different situations. Like, you know, um, I'm having trouble sleeping at night or I'm having trouble, like how you were saying, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and falling back asleep. And, you know, maybe they're reaching out with the parents. So the parents know that they're reaching out and, and we're getting help, or maybe it's, you know, it's causing, we, we unfortunately see it start causing a lot of issues for the parent and the child because the parents like, why can't you just go to sleep? And the child's like, I'm trying, but I can't. So then that just causes that anxiety and that strife right at, at bedtime between the parent and the child. You know, something that parents have to keep in mind with this age group too, is there's a lot of biological changes that's happening with a child that maybe the child doesn't understand and know. So, you know, as our kids get closer to puberty, when their natural sleep rhythms, what we our melatonin, that's our natural sleep hormone, when that is released in our body, that's what helps sync our 24-hour clock. That's what helps um, prepare our bodies to sleep. That shifts later into the night. So, you know, we might want our teens and tweens to go to sleep at say nine, 10 o'clock at night, but they biologically, some of them really struggle with that and can't actually fall asleep till 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And then we see issues with the earlier school times and they have to get up so early to catch the bus. I mean, that's just like, that's a whole other topic right there. Um, so unfortunately these kids who are still in that age range that still need, you know, we're looking at, you know, uh, 10, 11, 10, nine hours of sleep are now going to bed too late because whether it be biologically speaking or so many social um, activities, you know, extracurricular activities or after school jobs or all the homework that they're being pummeled with, tech in the bedroom, I mean, that's a conversation in itself. Um, and they're having to get up super early for school. So they're contacting us for a few reasons, but that's generally what we're seeing happening. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast a few months ago and it was with actually a sleep expert or maybe a productivity expert. I'm not totally sure, but they were talking about how different people have different like times when they're their most productive during the day. Mm -hmm. And they were saying how, you know, teenagers, we often give teenagers a lot of flack because they aren't sleeping and they're sleeping until 11 or 12 during the day when they can. And that's actually their natural cycle. Like they that's right. actually, that's when they fall asleep and that's when they want to sleep till. Like, so it's not as much, it's not as, you know, that they're being lazy. It's that that's their cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of organizations. Absolutely. I mean, that's right. And there's a lot of organizations. Um, it started in the U S but it is slowly trickling down to Canada as well, where there's a lot of organizations that are trying to, um, push school times out later. Um, mm -hmm. because again, just working more with, with the biology of, of the teen's body and, and still allowing them, even though they're going to bed late and getting up early, they still need those amount of hours, um, to avoid any kind of sleep debt. Yeah. So it's not even maybe when there's been times when my stepson or my stepdaughter have come home from school, had a big long nap and then woke up and obviously went to bed later because they had had that big nap, but they're actually just trying to catch up from their natural cycle. And when they naturally would want to fall asleep, does that sound right? 
Yeah. And I mean, we see a lot of, a lot of kids that age nap and napping is okay. Provided there aren't any huge sleep issues going on. I mean, and the same goes for adults too. A lot of adults say, is it okay that I take a nap in the afternoon? I mean, it's okay that you do that. If you are an individual who is struggling with sleep. So if your teen is really having a hard time falling asleep at night, and I'm talking like, you know, consistently or consistently waking up and having a hard time, then you might want to limit some of that daytime sleep. But for the most part, I mean, teens napping during the day, it shouldn't really be affecting their nighttime sleep that much. Yeah. All right. So let's talk video games, Fortnite, mm-hmm. all of that. That's a whole other topic. Um, how, how does, how do video games affect sleep? Well, I mean, for a few reasons. One, obviously the bright screen, right? So if we're talking about video games, I'm obviously a big believer of no tech at all in the bedroom for all age groups, adults Mm -hmm. included. Um, And then when we're getting into video games, you know, yes, there's that bright screen. So think of it as, you know, your brain having that sleep switch. Obviously, when we go to bed, we want that sleep switch on. And when we're putting it in, we're putting our face and our eyes in front of those bright screens, it's signaling to our brain that it's, it's, time to wake up. So we're turning that sleep switch off, which is what we don't want to do. So for that reason, again, coming back to our natural sleep hormone melatonin, one of the biggest external factors that helps release that melatonin is darkness. And that's what we want to cue when we're going to bed. So we really want to stay away from those bright screens. And then it depends on what game they're playing. I mean, if they're playing a video game, that's very, um, I'm using the worst video game technology, like very killy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like they're killing a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell in video games, but I have an eight-year-old son, so I get it. But you know, like a video game is very active. Um, that's kind of just hyping you up, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like watching that before you go to bed or reading that even before you go to bed. I mean, it's the same thing. So that's just getting that brain going and that adrenaline going if they're playing against their friends and they have to, you know, do whatever. Um, so it's not recommended. I mean, but that, that goes along with all tech. I mean, it probably wouldn't shock you. I was going to say it's going to shock you, but it probably wouldn't shock you at how much technology are in our children's bedrooms and how much they're using it before they go to bed till all hours of the night. Um, Not shocking me at all because there have been times that we have woke up in the middle of the night and heard my stepson downstairs on Fortnite or something. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can't go downstairs and like, what is happening? Like, why are you playing this right now? Get off right now. Well, I couldn't sleep. Well, this isn't helping. Right. But honestly, I think the fact that, that they have access in their rooms and I'm not going to lie, our kids definitely have their phone goes in their room. um, They use it as an alarm. We've tried. It's just been maybe something that we need to take a little more seriously, but it doesn't surprise me because and then you're addicted to it, right? So when you wake up, what's your natural reaction is to pick up and check your phone. That's right. And then yeah. you're in this vicious cycle. Yeah. And and this is this is when I come back to, you know, what goals can you work on as a family? We also have to be role models for our kids. So it's really hard for us to say, you know, don't have tech in your bedroom. And then here's mom and dad bringing tech into their bedroom or using their phone as an alarm too, right? And I mean, I see it all the time. So it's, you know, in, in my house, I mean, my kids are younger. I, I have a daughter who's entering tweenhood. She's just turned 12. So, but my my twins are eight. So I'm not totally there yet, but it's starting. Absolutely. And from the get-go, from the moment they had any kind of device, Um, and I, my husband and I don't keep our phones in our bedroom and I'm very, my husband would love a television in the bedroom and I obviously wouldn't, don't have one in the bedroom. Um, but we have a docking station in our kitchen and we all plug in overnight and they see us do it and we make them do it. And so we started at a very young age. So 
you know, we won't likely get, well, I shouldn't say that we're going to have a teenager soon. I shouldn't say we won't likely get that fight. I'm sure we will, but perhaps it won't be as bad because that's been the rules from the beginning. But uh, I actually had a, an episode on my podcast with Paul Davis, who is, if you're not following Paul Davis, you guys have to be, I believe his social is follow Paul Davis, D-A-V-I-S. He is a social media expert. Um, and he has, his background is like insane. Just go check him out. Um, and he speaks at schools and he speaks to a lot of like grade sevens and grade eights and parents as well. And, you know, in this episode, we covered everything from like, you know, when to buy your kid a smartphone and screen time and all of that. But we get into like the social media and the apps and some of the things that he was saying was mind blowing to me. And, you know, he made a really valid point. I mean, he, and he has daughters that are teenagers. I think his eldest is 18. So he's in it. He's not just the expert, but he's also living it. And he's like, you know, my kids don't have devices in their bedrooms. And he's like, you talk to any, um, you know, secret service and police officers or anything like that. And they would, would never have devices in their kids' bedrooms because they understand what goes down. And he's like, I'll see, you know, the conversations, like, what are your friends talking about at two o'clock in the morning? And it's really nothing of significance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're not missing out on much, but there is that, that vibration or that ping or that sound where this is forcing our kids awake, you know, and it's, we're doing a disservice to our kids. He put it in such a, a blunt way. And he's like, we are failing our children by allowing them to have these devices in our rooms because we are not allowing them to get that healthy sleep that they need. So I'm very, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's a very easy solution. Take the tech out. I know, listen, I, like I said, I have three kids. My kids are not perfect. I get the battles that can happen because of that, but I I'm with them 100% when he said that, like we are doing a disservice to our kids by allowing them to keep this tech or the video games or the phones or whatever in their room and to ourselves as well. But again, let's focus on the kids first. We got to get it out. Like they don't need it. Sorry. That's yeah. my stance. No. And I, and I think that's great. And I love, I love hearing that. And I love hearing the expert's perspective because I think we're getting, we've got so caught up in what everyone else is doing and not really, not really thinking about the impact that all of this tech is having because our kids are actually the first generation of, of, people who yeah. are going to have yeah. this in their life ongoing. Like I never had, you know, I was Comfort. having this conversation yeah. with my dad the other day and he said, it never even occurred to any of you guys to ask me to pay for your cell phone. Like it blows my mind that parents are paying for their kids' cell phones. And I said, yeah. well, I'm pretty sure I was the first of my friend to have a cell phone and it was a prepaid card or whatever. It's not like it is now. It's it's a completely no. different stage. And these kids not only have access to these devices all the time, and I'm saying these are our kids too, mm -hmm. but they have access to so much information that they should not have access to. No, absolutely. And then we wonder why our kids are struggling with anxieties and more stresses than ever before. And why, I mean, what I was saying, the World Health Organization is saying that, you know, we're comparing our teenagers' anxieties and fears to a 1950s psychiatric patient. Like that's crazy, you know? So and it, crazy. It, in my opinion, it's because of tech. It's because of what they're, exactly what you said, all the information that they are being given um, at an age where they don't have that common sense. You know, when I had my conversation with Paul, so much of what we were both saying to me and to him was such common sense, but he's like, we can't expect our kids who need to learn this common sense to have it. It's up to us to teach them that common sense, you know? So we're not their friend. I just actually no. had another podcast where I was just talking about that. 
we get caught up in trying to make sure our kids are happy and that everyone's getting along, but it's not our jobs to be their friends. It's our jobs to raise them into healthy, successful people. Yeah. And and what what I think is important too, sorry, I'm going to talk a lot about this because I am in it right now with my daughter and I see her friends and things like that. But, um, just because it's, it's a recent episode that's in my head, but, um, you know, when I'm looking at her, it's the group chats, right? The group chats is what gets them. And that's, what's keeping them up at two o'clock in the morning is that again, mindless chatter about absolutely nothing, you know, yeah. but this is what's keeping them up. And what, what is crazy to me is that majority of her and even her friends, cause I've heard them talk, hate the group chats, but because they don't want to be outed in their group or left out of the group chats, cause God forbid they don't get out of them and they don't end them and they don't turn the phone off. But then it's, so it's up to us as, as a parents to, to allow them to give them that opt out and they want that opt out. So let them blame us. They want to be able to blame us, but we have to do that for them. Yeah, for sure. And it, and I think it does go back to as adults too, we need to start implementing some boundaries around our own screen time and 100% what we have in our bedroom. And I'm not going to lie, Darren and I have been uh, watching this Netflix show in bed every night. We're so addicted right now, but we're legit addicted and we're watching it until we both kind of zonk out and neither of us are sleeping that well because we're so into the screen, but we can't seem to stop. So if we feel that way, as grown adults who can look at things from an adult perspective, imagine how the kids feel. Imagine how easy it is for them to just grab the phone, right? And, and, and check it, in. And it is an actual addiction. So yeah. when you look at it, like, you know, they say, what's the word? Um, uh, feed the the hair of the dog. Like, you know, when you're drinking and they say the best way to cure that hangover is to like have a drink in the morning. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with tech. So when our ch- children are so, I mean, it's the same thing with us So not just our kids, but when you're so addicted to tech, the very first thing you want to do as soon as you wake up is get that tech right back in front of your face. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it actually is starting to be something with our kids. Like I don't want to use it's being deemed as an addiction, but, um, it's getting, it's not out. yet. I don't, I know video game, I believe has actually been classified as like how there's like gambling addiction. Now video game is an actual addiction. I don't know that like social media usage has actually been that. I would be so very surprised if that doesn't happen in Oh, 100%. Soon. We're definitely yeah. taking the steps towards it for sure if we're not already there. But again, it's, it's up to us as the parents to put those steps in place. So I know we've been talking a lot about tech, but in my opinion, that probably is the number one reason why not just adults, but kids as well are such a, we are such a sleep deprived society. I personally think that tech is the number one sleep buster in our world right now, for sure. Absolutely. And then it all links back to anxiety too, right? It's yeah. all really intertwined. It is. Now, before we wrap up, if you could give families, and I know we've kind of touched on it all, but give families just, you know, three small changes that say they're not ready to say, you know what, no tech in the bedroom. They're not ready for like an extreme rule that is going to cause, you know, maybe backlash in their family. They just want to take some baby steps. What would your recommendations be? With what age group do you mean? Um, With teenagers and for adults too. So I would say, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're not wanting to get tech out and, and I understand the, the, 
the joy of having a TV in your room. Like I get it, but then at least give yourself a tech curfew. So at least 60 minutes before you go to bed, try and power down screens as best you can and just lower the lights and bring down that stimulation. You can go even go as far. I mean, for teens, I mean, I also understand that a lot of teens now with high school and stuff like that, they're on screen. So there's different, um, there's like the flux app, um, that you can install. There's really great blue blocking glasses, sunglasses that you can wear or your kids can wear. Um, even down to there's different um, light bulbs that you can install in their bedrooms that um, suppress some of that blue light and that white light. So there's definitely steps that you can take. That would be one. So whatever you can do in terms of tech, whether it be remove, I mean, obviously, number one, remove it. If you can't remove it, what steps can you do to at least better it? Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of it is tech. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but not all tech is bad. And I think for our teens and for ourselves as well, um, things, there's a lot of great podcasts now and, and bedtime stories and meditation apps and mindful apps and things like that. Headspace and Calm, if I can throw out a couple of actual names, in my opinion, are two of the best mindful and meditation apps for all ages of the family. Yeah, we um, use Calm with Reese and we'll put it on when she falls asleep in her room and it, she loves it. That app, I'm telling you, the second you turn that app on, it's like you actually feel your body just like, I don't, it, that does what it does for me. I love that app. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different layers and levels to that app. And same with Headspace. Headspace is great for the little kids. You can use it as young as five years old. So for, if anyone's listening that have smaller kids that you want to start incorporating some, um, breathing exercises and visual visualization exercises and things like that. So there is some tech that can help, especially with our kids things, something like as simple as like a Google home mini that doesn't cost a lot. Um, you know, you can put that in their room and then they're not in front of that bright screen because they can just get Google to do it for them, turn on bedtime stories or turn on, you know, whatever app they want to turn on. So tech can be good or tech can be bad. You have to look at it both ways. Um, and then I think my third thing would be just again, coming back to that communication and opening up that discussion about it and, okay, how are we going to work through this together? So don't just put it on your kid to figure out. You have to help them get there. And yes, there might be those fights and those battles, but when you guys are working on it as a team and working on it as a whole, um, you know, maybe it will be easier. So just understanding the sleep needs of whatever age group you're tackling um, and then working on it together. Yeah. And I love the conversation about saying like sleep is one of the three pillars of health because mm-hmm. I do think we forget that. Absolutely. We take it for granted for yeah. sure. And we, we wear sleep deprivation and, you know, I'm sure you've read this before as a badge of honor, you know, it's like, oh, who needs to sleep? I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, like, uh, you know, it's just the last thing on the totem pole, but it can't be, you know, you have to, you have to really raise it up and put value to it. Yeah. And I do think it also, we also need to remember it helps increase your productivity. And I got caught in that myself where I was feeling like I needed to get up so I could get stuff done so I could be successful. And like, it was this vicious cycle of I wasn't going to get all of the to-do list done if I didn't get up and get out of bed and start hammering it out. But when you have that sleep in you, you have more resources and energy so that you're more productive, you're way more focused. And I think that is such an important conversation that we all need to be having. Yeah. And I mean, it, it betters our immune system. Um, it betters our, like you said, your cognitive ability, our memory, um, our moods. I mean, we know, I know what I'm like when I haven't been sleeping. I know what my tween daughter's like when she hasn't been sleeping. So if we're getting into moods and things like that with our teens, I mean, we got to start talking about not in this podcast, but just with your kids, you know, drowsy driving. I mean, that's a huge issue that we're seeing with, with kids at that age too. So, you know, it's, it's really important to focus on on sleep as a whole for all family members, not just our babies and our toddlers, which is where we kind of 
think, you know, sleep training needs to happen for all ages. Yeah. You know what? I think our family needs a, you know, I think maybe Reese right now is probably ahead of the game. We all need a bit of an overhaul. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alana. Honestly, you are a wealth of information and you know, you've taught me so much about the importance of sleep and I'm so excited for my community to hear all of this because definitely important conversations that we need to be having. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Right. We'll chat soon. Okay, guys, if you like this podcast, please do me a little favor. Take a second and subscribe on iTunes and then screenshot this podcast. Give it a share in social media and tell your friends what you think. And hey, don't forget to tag me so that I can thank you for helping me spread the word. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week.